This podcast is produced by members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but is not an official podcast of the Church. All thoughts, opinions, and views expressed are strictly those of the authors and speakers. Welcome back to the I Believe in Christ podcast. I'm your host, Conrad Southworth. Thank you for joining me this week. Um, real quick, you can find the podcast on Twitter at I Believe Pod, on Instagram at I Believe in Christ Podcast, Facebook at the same, our website or my website is I Believe in Christ.net. And if you'd like to email me, you can reach me at podcast at I Believe in Christ.net. Um, like I said, thank you for tuning in this week. Uh, we'll be covering some church news, uh, the Come Follow Me lesson. For uh, February 4th through February 10th, Matthew 4 and Luke 4 and 5. And then at the end of this episode, well, it takes up more than the rest of it, so it's not really the end. But uh, we'll have an interview where I sit down with um, a good uh, mom of a friend of mine who I've known for a really long time, uh, Monica Budge. And we talk about a lot of the trials she's had in her life and how she's stayed faithful and... uh, stayed on the covenant path. So I hope you guys enjoy, and uh, let's get into the church news. All the water in the world, no matter how it tried, could ever sink the smallest ship until it got inside. All right, as you can probably tell, I decided to do music again in this one, just because the only feedback I got is that people miss the music, so or a person miss the music. So uh, this music is brought to you by Colabite. Um, I reached out to the guy that does it and he said I could use it and I haven't talked to anyone else, but I like it and it's good stuff. So I hope you guys do too. Um, and it's kind of like different, I feel like, on a church podcast. Um, anyway, uh, church news. That's what brings us here today. So um, I'm going to try to do the church news a little different in this one where... Uh, instead of like reading notes that I wrote down, I'm just going to skim through a few of them because I've read the articles, but anyway, um, we'll just jump into it. If I didn't say anything, you guys probably wouldn't even noticed, but, uh, first off, just serve helps Silicon Valley, or sorry, Silicon Slopes provide 1 million meals to hungry children. So the, uh, I guess it's an organization, Silicon Slopes, um, which I just thought it was an area, but apparently it's a whole organization. So they are joining with Just Serve, a few other um, uh, in, uh, nonprofits and people that like to help people, um, and the church to provide one million meals to hungry children. And so um, they had a ton of volunteers come out to prepare a, uh, one million meals to be delivered to children. Um, it says they had more than 20,000 attendees. Um, of the 2019 Silicon Slopes Tech Summit and members of the community contributed to the goal of providing 1 million meals to hungry children. And um, children helped, parents helped, uh, volunteers of all kinds. Um, so a great experience. And uh, they're really trying to, as I read in another article, they're trying to set themselves apart from Silicon Valley and really not be like Silicon Valley, but stand out as an organization that's trying to do good. Um, so, yeah. Um, that happened this week during the Silicon Slopes Summit. Um, 
the new, sorry, on uh, January 30th, a new planning tool um, was announced and made available for prospective missionaries. And so they they talk about when Elder, or sorry, President Monson um, announced the name change in, uh, from missionaries going out to, uh, to 18 and 19, from 19 to 18, um, that they weren't really saying you, you have to leave when you're 18, but they were just trying to say, leave when you're ready. And um, this new tool that they've provided will tell you um, when when you leave and when you get when you would get back to make planning for school, athletics, and anything else, uh, jobs, any your career, anything um, easier to plan around. And so, um, yeah, they just said they really want people to leave when they're ready and not feel like they have to leave right when they turn 18 or you know right when they graduate. So. Another awesome uh, tool coming out to help to help members of the church. Um, moving on, there was um, a post on Mormon Newsroom about Latter-day Saints around the world. And they kind of pulled a bunch of stories together about things that are going on around the world. It kind of made it easy for me to go find the stories because they consolidated a lot of them here. But um, in the Philippines, uh, Elder Jeffrey R. Holland counseled couples on marriage. And um, so he spoke to a bunch of couples out there. And let's see, it says he counseled the couples to take care of each other. He said a wife needs to be appreciated and husbands need to be accepted. Um, and then there's, there's more you can go on and read. And I'll have links on the show notes, which you can find on our website, on my website, IBelieveInChrist.net. I don't know how I say R, it, like I said, just me. Uh, Yemen, uh, in Yemen, LDS charities providing food and water to people in Yemen. So the LDS, let's see, the people of Yemen have been disrupted by a civil war for nearly four years. The prolonged conflict has led to the collapse of life-sustaining systems such as running water systems and access to food and medical care. And the church has been out there providing water. It says it's blessed nearly 350,000 people in Yemen. Um, In Peru... The Catholic school, or a Catholic school, received a donation from Latter-day Saints, um, and it says that, uh, I can't pronounce the guy's name that was out there, Enrique R. Falabella, president of the South America Northwest area of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, participated in a recent ceremony where the worldwide Christian faith provided classrooms. Um, It says the donation was made to the Center of Integral Human Studies and Development or C-E-D-H-I in uh, a city in South America that I can't pronounce. I need to get a little more more cultured, it seems. All right. Uh, In Panama, the church donated water uh, for World Youth Day. Uh, The strong relationship of trust built between the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the Catholic Church has resulted in Latter-day Saints helping with World Youth Day in 2019 in Panama. It says the church delivered thousands of bottles of water for the event for people attending the annual five-day gathering. In Guatemala, uh, Notebooks with Hearts starts delivery of school supplies. So the organization, I guess, Notebooks with Hearts, uh, began delivering school supplies to children in Guatemala. That says notebooks, pencils, and other basic school supplies were collected by Notebooks with Hearts, or sorry, with Heart, a campaign in Guatemala organized to assist public school children in rural areas. The church partnered with them and um, to deliver over 100,000 donations for students. 
Um, and then there's still more. I mean, the church is busy. In Peru, uh, Helping Hands and other forces joined forces to clean a local beach. And that was all that they put together in this post. But like I said, the church is busy. Um, the Asia, Asia Temple, the Hong Kong China Temple uh, will close for renovation, uh, effective July 8th, 2019. Um, it was dedicated in 1990, May 26th, 1996 by Gordon B. Hinckley. And uh, so, you know, about 22, 23 years old. Um, and they'll be closing for, for renovation out there. Um, a pretty cool story about how that church was, de- or sorry, that temple was designed. Um, and it talks about this in the article that uh, President Hinckley was out there and they were visiting temple sites and they couldn't really, they couldn't narrow one down. And uh, late at night, President Hinckley called the leaders together, or sorry, he had an idea of what it should look like that came to him. The next morning, he called the leaders together to show the non-traditional temple structure that was his idea. And that's the temple that was built. And uh, that's what stands there today. So kind of a cool story um, about the Hong Kong China Temple. All right. And lastly, there were temple groundbreakings were announced for the Pocatello Temple and the Guam Temple. So Pocatello, Idaho Temple groundbreaking will take place March 16th, 2019. So in a few, you know just six weeks or so from now. And the Guam Temple will take place May 4th, 2019. So those temples were announced um, a while ago, and uh, the groundbreakings are now taking place. They have 3D, or I guess they're not 3D, but they have renderings of what the temples will look like. Um, they're both beautiful temples. Uh, like, like I said, there'll be a link in the show notes if you want to go check it out and uh, see what's going on. But that's it for church news. So um, yeah, if uh, I missed anything or if there's something... I I should look at. Please feel free to reach out to me and let me know. And uh, yeah, let's move into the Come Follow Me lesson for this week. All right, so the Come Follow Me lesson for this week is Matthew 4 and Luke 4 and 5. Uh, titled The Spirit of the Lord is Upon Me. And this is during, uh, I mean, beginning of the New Testament where Jesus Christ is beginning his ministry. Um, In these chapters, it's where uh, Jesus Christ fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. He's then tempted by Satan um, in three different ways. And then uh, he goes and calls his apostles and begins his ministry. And there is so much to learn, I feel, in these scriptures, and uh, a lot of great content, um, a lot of the great one-liners that we hear uh, throughout the church. They're just present in these uh, chapters, and so um, it's good stuff. Um, the the first um, the first section is titled "Communing with God Prepares Me to Serve Him." And uh, in this section, it talks about um, how does this, or sorry, it says, think of what you do to feel close to God, and how does this prepare you for the work that he wants you to do? And um, it details some scriptures in here about what Jesus Christ was doing to prepare for 
um, his mission, and he went into the wilderness to be with God. And so um, the question again, think of what you do to feel close to God, and how does this help you to prepare uh, for the work he wants you to do? And I thought it was an interesting question because, um, well, these are all interesting questions, right? And they all cause us to do some some self-reflection, which is always good. Um, But if I want to... If I want to feel close to God or prepare for work that he wants me to do, um, usually I'm praying. I'm listening to good music. Um, I've got a, a playlist on Spotify uh, that I titled, I Believe in Christ. You can go follow it if you want. That I just put all my favorite like church songs and not necessarily Motab, but uh, just songs that they're not like the the normal songs that I usually listen to, and I really enjoy those. And um, fasting is a great way as well, and visiting the temple and scripture study. And so those are just all the ways that I thought about um, that help me uh, when I feel like I need to draw closer to God, either for direction or if there is something coming up that I need to prepare myself for, or to have the Spirit with me for something in my life. Well, I always need it with me, but you get what I mean. Anyway, um, so that was that section. Moving on to the next section, it was Jesus Christ set the example for me by resisting temptation. And so uh, it's referring to Jesus Christ um, being tempted by Satan um, after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And um, just real quick, I wanted to read a few of the scriptures and the ways he was tempted um, from Matthew 4. And it says, uh, starting in verse 1, it says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God... Command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy the holy city, and settleth sorry, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall be they shall bear thee up lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone jesus said unto him it is written again thou shalt not tempt the lord thy god again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him all these things will i give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. And so um, I just wanted to read that because it explains the temptations that Jesus went through at this time better than I could explain it. And um, real quick, just to note that there's a few Joseph Smith translations uh, throughout that those verses that talk about um, that the devil didn't actually take him up, but he was uh, taken up with the Spirit. So, anyway, 
Um, so I wanted to read those because I wanted to talk about this quote that um, actually recorded this and couldn't find it. So I re-recorded it. So if it sounded a little disjointed back there, that is why. But the quote was from Elder David O. McKay. And it says, uh, Elder David O. McKay, then a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, said, Nearly every temptation that comes to you and me comes in one of those forms. Those being the, the forms that Satan just tempted Christ with. Um, it says, Classify them, and you will find that under one of those three... Sorry, I'm like reading across a bunch of stuff here. It says, Under one of those three... Nearly every given temptation that makes you and me spotted, ever so little may be, comes to us as, one, a temptation of the appetite, two, a yielding to the pride and fashion and vanity of those alienated from the things of God, or three, a gratifying of passion or a desire of the riches of the world, or power among men. Um, So a great quote just talking about how um, every temptation that you, me, or anyone on this earth is tempted with falls into the categories of these three great temptations that um, Satan threw at the Savior uh, just before he started his ministry. Um, So moving on, um, it says that uh, there's like a little matrix on here. What did, or like, how did Satan tempt Christ and how does Satan tempt you? And you can go through and do the little activity here. Um, the next section is Jesus Christ is the prophesied Messiah. Um, and it says, if you were asked to describe what Jesus Christ was sent to earth to do, what would you say? And, uh, it says in, sorry, in Luke, the savior describes aspects of his own mission by quoting one of Isaiah's prophecies about the Messiah. And so everyone knows Isaiah's super simple and easy to understand, but, um, (laughs) Jesus Christ quotes Isaiah and talks uh, in in Nazareth in the temple and talks about how he, uh, you know this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears and he, everyone there is like is this this is Joseph's son right like are we talking about the same guy and so they get angry and they try to stone him as was the you know that he was should be killed for blasphemy as was the Mosaic law and. Uh, yeah, so he departs from them, and his his ministry is officially begun. Um, so I don't think that the the people there were doing anything like too terrible. They were just doing what they knew and what they thought they should do. But um, the next section it talks about as I trust in the Lord, He can help me reach my divine potential. And the quote here is, President Ezra Taft Benson taught, men and women who turn their lives over to God will discover that he can make a lot more out of their lives than they can. Um, And so they're talking about the disciples that Jesus calls Peter, uh, Simon, or Simon who was called Peter, right? And then uh, James and John and Andrew and a few others that were called at this time. Um, where he's walking by and they're, they're fishing and they straightway leave their nets and follow him. But uh, as President Benson said, men and women who turn their lives over to God will discover that he can make a lot more out of their lives than they can. So just reading that again, as we, as I, like 
I don't know. I feel that this Jesus Christ can make a lot more out of my life than I can. Um, I mean, it's like one of the reasons I started doing this podcast. It's uh, one of the reasons I do a lot of the things I do is because I feel uh, one, just like as a better person for doing for trying to follow Jesus Christ. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, but I feel that if I have faith and I trust that what I'm doing is the right thing, that God's going to bless me and that my life can become more than the idea that I have for it. Um, and I've seen that come to light so many times already, and I'm hoping it comes to light with this podcast as I, uh, you know, I, I hope that as I continue to do it and um, kind of lean on the Lord to get better and better at it and strengthen me. And uh, yeah, I just hope that it, uh, that through the Lord, that I can make it more than I could if I didn't have him on my side. So I hope that makes sense. Uh, sometimes I just get rambling. Anyway, um, that's the last section for this for this uh, lesson. Um, there were some ideas for family scripture study and family home evening. Um, some things that stood out to me. It says, why does Satan try to make us doubt our divine, our divine, ide- divine identities? And how does he try to do this? So I was reading through this and um, I just, Satan's always trying to get us down on ourselves. He's trying to make us be harder on ourselves than say anyone else would to make us feel inadequate, to make us feel uh, like we can't do something. And um, a few, a few weeks ago, I was watching a YouTube video uh, and I think I mean, I feel like I mentioned it in an earlier podcast, but I don't, uh, I don't remember if I did or didn't. And I don't remember anyway. So I was watching a, a YouTube video from Casey Neistat and it was called do what you can't. And so I, I really liked, it was just, you know, like a promotional, uh, I don't want to say self-help, but kind of like a self-help video. Um, just saying, do what you can't, if there's something out there that you want to do and you can't do it. Just start doing it and figure it out. And he talks about that that's how he became a successful YouTube star or, um, you know, director and doing movies. And he features a bunch of other uh, online content creators. Um, And I don't think he's focusing in on online content creators themselves, but uh, he's just talking about doing what you can. And I feel like Satan, his goal, so relating this back to this, is he want he doesn't want you to do what you can. He wants you to feel inadequate. He wants you to think that you're not good enough, you're not worthy enough, you're not what, you know, the, you're not the person that should be doing it. And it's thoughts like these and thoughts of discouragement that are going to hold us back from doing what God wants us to do. And so um anyway, I just I, I like that video that he posted and if I shared that earlier then I forget, and I'm just sharing it again. Anyway, the uh, the other section, or the other thing that stood out to me was um, from the Joseph Smith translation, Matthew 4, verse 11. Um, but the question was, how are we blessed as we follow Christ's example of thinking of others before ourselves, and how can we follow this, or his example? So in Matthew 4, 11, it says, after Jesus was physically and spiritually tempt, uh, tested, his thoughts turned to the needs of John the Baptist who was uh, in prison, 
And it says, And now Jesus knew that John was cast in prison, and he sent angels and beheld, or sorry, he, and he sent angels and behold, they came and ministered unto him, John. Um, and that's what's clarified in the Joseph Smith transmission or transmission translation. Whew, sorry. So um, again, how are we blessed as we follow Jesus Christ's example of thinking of others before ourselves, and how can we follow His example? And I just really liked, I don't know, service as I talked about, I think in the last episode or two episodes ago, um, when I quoted Elder Nelson talking about uh, doing service for the, um, sorry, for the Californians who lost their homes. And uh, it's just, if you want to be doing the right thing, then do service because there's never any, any problem doing service for somebody. Look for ways to serve in your community, in your ward, in your stake, in any way you can. And those feelings um, of being Christ-like and doing what Christ would do, they will be there and they will comfort you. Um, So last thing real quick on the Come Follow Me stuff, and then we're going to get into um, the interview portion, is at the bottom of this lesson, it says, Improving Our Teaching. And so I, again, just like with this said, I'm just going to read it, and this will be the last thing on the Come Follow Me. But it says, Live the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Perhaps the most important thing you can do as a parent or teacher is to live the gospel with all your heart. This is the principal way to qualify for the companionship of the Holy Ghost. You don't have to be perfect, just diligently trying and seeking forgiveness through the Savior's atonement whenever you stumble. So, um... I, again, just really liked that. Um, I serve in the Sunday school presidency and the Sunday school president always says, just live the gospel. And, um, he's, it's always just like what he always, it's like his, his motto is just, just live it. And so, um, just be an example to others by living the gospel. And like it says, if you stumble, then take, take advantage of the atonement Um, through the Savior and seek forgiveness. Anyway, that concludes the Come Follow Me uh, lesson this week. So um, we'll pick up on the next lesson next week, and we'll get into the, uh, the interview portion. All right, so for the interview today, uh, it won't be my grandma, big shocker. Uh, it will be a close friend of mine, his mother, who has endured so much. And one of the reasons and inspirations for me to begin this podcast, um, and I think I talked about it in episode one, but I was reading um, a Facebook post of hers on the 25th anniversary or 20, yeah, 25th anniversary, I think it was, of when their home yeah, in Pittsburgh, California burned down. Um, back in 1993 and my dates might be off, but, um, anyway, she's just, uh, she's always been one of the happiest people I know and she is a great inspiration. And, um, like I said, I really enjoyed the story that she shared. It was very faith promoting. So I reached out to her and asked if she'd be willing to share some of the trials that she's been through and just how she stays faithful in the church and uh anyway it's it's a i thought it was a fantastic interview i hope you guys enjoy it um 
yeah, so this is uh, my interview with Monica Budge. Um, and yeah. All right, I am here with Monica Budge. Um, Sister Budge, I met, ooh, when I was like 12, I think. Probably. Yeah, and so she was the mom of one of my best friends, Jake Budge, who helped me build uh, the new website, IBelieveInChrist.net. And um, anyway, so when I was thinking about doing the podcast, I, well, let me introduce Sister Budge first, so that everyone listening can get to know you. But um, so you're the mother of five. Yes. You're from Mexico. I am from Mexico. And um, I said how I know you through, you know, Jake. And um, the reason I invited you to, to be on, which we've talked about, but um, for listeners, is I was reading a story that she posted on Facebook last year in December when I was on the fence about doing this podcast and uh, how I could do the podcast and what I would include in this. And so uh, she posted a story about uh, her house burning down in California back in 1990 something, 93. And so, um, she posted this story and I was reading about it and just how kind of everything went right for that experience to happen the way it did. And nobody get, nobody got hurt. Yeah. And And I, I just read it and I was like, that's such a great story. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's just awesome that things worked out, but it was a good story and it was inspiring to me and I, I thought faith promoting. So, um, I was like, these are the kind of stories people need to hear about. And I think I talked, maybe talked about this in the first episode. I don't remember, but, um, this, so I read this story and I was like, these are the cool stories that people have that I think it would be good to talk about. So, that's why uh, I invited Monica to to do this interview conversation with me. So welcome to the podcast, and thank you for being the first guest, other than one of my relatives, to be on. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. So let's just, I guess, talk about, like, your life. I know there's a lot that I know you've been through, but um, let's talk about, like, when did you come from Mexico here, and... Why and Why? how did it work out? And... <laughs> Living the, the dream life. The, mm-hmm. um, I moved here to the United States when I was 10 years old, uh, to Texas. Um, so um, English was my second language. I started school in fifth grade, uh, not knowing any English whatsoever. But being young, we picked it up pretty fast. I think by the end of the school year, we're pretty fluent in uh, communication English. Uh, Obviously, there was still a lot that we had to learn and comprehend. But uh, for the most part, it it was fairly easy for us. And I think a lot of it was because of being so young. I was 10 years old. Uh, my dad had been here already working, and he going back and forth for five years was just too hard on our family. So gotcha. we got to a point. He got to a point where he's like, "No, I, I need to get my family together." And so we moved to Texas when I was ten. Nice. Um, come from a family of nine children. Big family. Big family. Six. I have six sisters and two brothers. Even more uh, stressful for my parents. Yeah with seven girls. Um, so were you guys members of the church at the time? We were. My oh. my mom and dad actually were converts. Um, my 
my parents, my dad joined the church in 1962 when they lived in, uh, in Mexico. My mom joined a year after just because um, my mom wanted to be baptized at the same time my dad did, but mostly because my dad was being baptized. And my dad told her, no, he goes, you need to know for yourself if this is if the church is true right. and if the book of mormon is true and when you have received that confirmation then then you can be baptized i don't want you to get baptized because i'm being baptized yeah. and so a year later she was baptized she was actually like almost she was like nine months pregnant when she got baptized oh, wow. with my uh, oldest brother no, and so awesome. yeah converts uh, the only ones in my family mm-hmm. all the rest of my my grandparents, uncles, aunts, they're all very devout Catholics. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was born in the church. Awesome. Did that make immigrating to Texas easier, having the church? or? Um, I think um, it helped uh, just because we were brought up a lot different than, mm-hmm. uh, than other people, yeah. other than other children, I think, I guess. Um, I don't know if, if, you know, in terms of what... The United States was for me at that time. <laughs> uh, I mean, I had never really seen, you know, the you know what America was really about, other than watching TV. Right. So my, it's funny to say this, but my my vision of the United States or America, wherever we were going to be moving, I I was expecting to see, you know. Uh, uh, horses and wagons being pulled and I mean so it wasn't like cars or anything yeah. like that I you know a lot of western kind of movies and shows we would see right when we lived in Mexico so that's kind of what I was expecting and so it was a little bit that's pretty funny I know <laughs> what uh, what part of Mexico were you in from? I'm from Ciudad Juarez mm. Chihuahua which is uh border El Paso okay so uh, I know Chihuahua but yeah yeah that's cool so so you moved to to Texas, and then eventually made it over here to Utah, yeah. So that I could grow up with Jake, and exactly, so know, that he can have the best friend. Skateboarding videos and <laughs> pink ponies yeah. and whatever else we did. Yeah. Anyway. So, so yeah, I, I married. I got married young, my first time. Uh, kind of a I don't know if it's a cultural thing or if it was just because of the small town. Um, was that in Texas? Still? In Texas. Okay. Um, I was, should I say how old I was? That's up to you. Okay. I was 15 years old when I married my first husband. Wow, that is young. That is young. 17 and a half. He was 17 and a half. Um, funny story on that is, um, you know, being so young, my dad, well, let's go back a little bit. My, I had a brother and a sister who eloped, mm-hmm. and they were both... 15 at the time, too. So they're my... So it runs in the family. It kind of runs he in the was family. Prepared. Exactly. Well, he thought that if he didn't give me permission, that I would probably go and elope myself. Because oh, okay. my, my first husband did actually ask for my hand in marriage. Oh. Went and talked to my dad. And um, I remember my dad telling me uh, that when he was talking to him, his name was Martin, um, that he asked him, he goes, you guys are so young. Why, why are you in a hurry? And that his response was, Vicente, my dad's name is Vicente, he goes, life is too short. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, lo and behold, uh, things happened, and he actually was killed in a, in a car accident uh, when he was 22 years old. 
I was 19 when I became a widow. You had just one daughter? I had one daughter. My oldest uh, is from my first husband. She was two years old. Man. And um, then I met Jared. And when we got married, we moved to California, lived there. Most All my kids were born in California Yeah. and lived there for about 15 years. He was born and raised there. But then we had the opportunity to move here to Utah in uh, 2002. Yeah, and you guys were in Anaheim. Or? We were in uh, in the Bay Area, East Bay Area, in oh. a town called Antioch, California. That's okay. <laughs> Northern, Southern. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, like by Oakland, San Francisco area. Gotcha. One of the reasons why Jared was a big Raiders fan. Oh yeah. And and an Oakland A's fan. So. And that's uh, where the house. Your guys' house mm-hmm. there burned down? Well, the house that burned down was in Pittsburgh. Oh. So we lived, he lived in Pittsburgh. We lived in Pittsburgh our, the first five years of our marriage. Gotcha. Um, it was the first home we had bought. We actually bought the home in 1989, 1990. I think it was in 90. I can't remember now. Um, I'm trying to think. Josh was two years old when we had the fire. So we bought it in, and he was born in 92. I always have to go back to where my kids were born. Yeah. No, so I, I, I believe we uh, uh, bought our first home in 1990. All right. So, and the fire was in 1993. So tell us the story. I, I, I read it. No, no one else on here okay. has listened to it, but how did it unfold? And how did it unfold? I mean, yeah. how did it, I, yeah, just go ahead and tell it. Well, it was, uh, it was December, December 6th. Um, the night before, which was a Sunday, um, was it a Sunday? Yes. Um, we had put up our Christmas tree and it was the first time Jared for a while had been collecting, um, village homes and it was actually our first time that we were going to be able to put the, our village up because mm-hmm. the kids were old enough that they could, you know, were able to understand not to touch things. Yeah. Like I said, Josh was, um, almost two years old. Yeah. I remember you guys mm-hmm. always had it in the front room over yeah, here. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that year on December 6th, we had put up the Christmas tree, put up the Christmas village around it. And that night, um, Jared was in a, in a quartet uh, group, and they had gone over to sing at a nursing home, mm-hmm. came home, uh, put the kids to bed. And during that time, I got really sick. I had bronchitis. Mm. So I was... Uh, told so that I'm, you know, because of the congestion to sleep on a inclined position. Mm-hmm. So I was actually laying, sleeping on the recliner. Chair didn't like being in the bed by himself. So he actually slept on the couch, mm-hmm. which was in the family room that adjoins the garage. So the garage is right there. And then the family room, when you come in through the garage and we're both just laying in bed, I mean, going asleep and Jared just woke up to the smell of smoke and he didn't wake me up right away. He kind of went to go look to see where it was. The first thought thought that he said he had was the Christmas tree because we put up a, we always put up a fresh Christmas tree yeah. being in California. Yeah. Um, so he thought, first thing he thought was that I'm going to go check the Christmas tree. So he did and nothing was there. He said, okay, when he went and checked in the kitchen, he goes, maybe Monica forgot to, turn something off on the stove. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and no, nothing. And then he said he just started kind of looking to see where the smoke was coming. By then, smoke started to show up on the, on the ceiling. So he kind of followed it, and it was coming from the garage. And, you know, don't ever touch doors, but he actually did. <laughs> he said he opened the door, and everything was on fire inside the garage. So he closed the door, woke me <laughs> <Nope>. up. He's <laughs> like... Let's get up. Yeah. He woke me up, got me up, and we said we got to get the kids out right away. Uh, so we did. We went and got all the kids. The kids' bedrooms were kind of on the other side of the house. It was not a huge house. It was, you know, 1,900 square feet home, you know, there. So it wasn't too far. We were able to get the kids out um, and go across the street and get them out of the house and go across the street to the neighbors. By then, um, by then when we were knocking on the door, the neighbors called 911 and they came out. They let us stay inside and they came out to help to try to um, hose it down while mm -hmm. we waited for the uh, for the fire department to get there, uh, which wasn't too far away. But for some reason, it took them about 15, 20 minutes to get to my house. Oh, and 15, 20 minutes is not that long, but when your house is on fire, uh, it, go it goes pretty fast. Yeah. That's so an eternity. when he went back to uh, to the house, you know, the, obviously you go and do the stuff that you know you um, you need to do. The first first thing was to get the kids out of the house for safety. Then he went back to go check uh, to turn off gas, you mm. know, things like that. Um, so he said he went back inside, and it was only maybe five minutes, mm -hmm. you know, by the time we got it back from the neighbor, and he said by the time he got into the house, he actually had to crawl in the house because the smoke had gotten to a point where it was yeah. uh, already consumed inside in just a small That's space. Um, so he was able to turn off the gas, and the ambulance came, and I mean, not the ambulance, well, actually, probably the ambulance and the fire department got there, and yeah, by then the flames were pretty high in the garage. My neighbors from either side were hosing down their roofs to make sure that none of their, none of the, what do you call it, the embers or whatever, the, yeah. the flies around, Nothing catches there, didn't start any other fires. Uh, wow. So yeah, and uh, so it was probably like five o'clock in the morning. Kids were sleeping, we were sleeping. Yeah. I had taken medicine, so... I'm usually a very light sleeper, but because I was under medication, I was, I didn't mm -hmm. even, I wouldn't have known until Jared woke me up. If he would have slept in the bedroom, I probably wouldn't have got, smelled it or until it was too late. Yeah. So it's kind of a blessing that he, he didn't like sleeping by himself. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so. Wasn't your bedroom like farther away too? So it was the furthest from the from the house, from the garage, from the so. garage. Yeah. So I mean, if we would have been in our bedroom, I mean, if you weren't sick. If I wasn't sick, uh, you know that smoke. Like I said, you know, when he first smelled it, it still had not gotten into the house. Yeah. It's after he went to go look that he started noticing the smoke coming from the garage. So if we would have been on uh, all the way to the end of the where our bedroom was, which was on the other side of the ha of the garage, yeah. it probably would have taken longer for us to realize that there was a fire in our house. That's ah, so cool. Like yeah. I just love hearing so, stories like that where like everything happened for a reason. For a reason and like yeah. it had to happen that way. Yeah. 
and everything worked out. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, it was miserable well, being sick, I'm sure, but I don't even remember how sick I was because yeah. all I can remember is that, thank goodness that we were in that family room. Yeah. So. Oh, that's awesome. So that happens. Huge faith promoter, I'm sure. Yes. You guys end up moving from there, California. And well, then the, I got to tell you the biggest. Oh. No, biggest miracle. Okay. So I don't know this one yet. Not yet. Okay. Uh, I don't think I put this on, on Facebook. Uh, so the fire was in the garage. Mm -hmm. It was started by the dryer. I always would put a load in the dryer before I went to bed to kind of get, you know, my day started on laundry for the next day. Don't ever do that. Um, they think, I think that my wife will, yeah, will please. agree with that. No, okay. no laundry, no laundry <laughs> at night or at least your dryer. Okay. Um, but so the fire was in the garage, right? Right. Um, everything. I mean, if you saw the pictures, his car was burnt, Yeah. his motorcycle, I mean, everything. Right. And so we had the washer and dryer and then on the wall, uh, next to it, we had our shelves and all my pictures, all our photos in cardboard boxes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So everything is burnt. We go back in to go see what we could salvage. And I was just so devastated because yeah. I'm like, God, we've lost everything, all yeah. our pictures and everything. And uh, we go looking for it and we find our photos in the boxes. I mean, the top was burnt. Everything else was saved. That's awesome. Nothing was, nothing on the bottom. I mean, I still have pictures that have like the edges burned on, yeah. the, on the edges and stuff, but none of my pictures got ruined. Even the water. I mean, you think yeah. they, you know, the firefighters, firefighters were spraying everything. spraying everything and no water damage to my wow. pictures, anything. So all my photos were saved. That is a miracle. I know, right? That's awesome. So only thing that's right, my, my photos. Not near as, uh, as miraculous, but our basement flooded a couple weeks ago, and there was a box right next to the window that let all the water in, the seal, like, whatever. But, um, yeah, everything's soaking wet, like the floor, <laughs> and for whatever reason, nothing in that box was wet, and it had, like, all of our old yearbooks and, like, some stuff from the mission in there, all this, like, study materials. I was like, well, that's, that's awesome. Nothing got wet. And I know, right? Like, everything else is soaking, but I was like, whatever reason, that cardboard on the bottom was just... Thick enough to keep everything from getting keep wet. So, yeah. anyway, not anyway. near as miraculous. As no, that, but, but I mean that's reminded still... me of that. No, 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 not no, at that's all. That's amazing. Um, anyway, so, awesome. so yeah, so then after that, we rebuilt the house. Um, we were in a rental home for about six months, and we rebuilt the house. Um, we uh, at the time Jared was working for Mervins. If you guys remember the, I remember Mervins. Mervins, yeah. Uh, they really helped a lot. They, they knew they, well, of course they heard about the fire and how we had lost everything. They actually sent, uh, boxes of clothing and blankets for us, wow. uh, to help with the kids. Kids had lost all their backpacks, you know, everything. Yeah. And the next day was Monday. <laughs> so, or, or that day, Monday morning, it was December 7th, you know, and we didn't want the kids to 
you know, to kind of be involved with everything. So we wanted to send them to school and they did borrow clothes from their, you know, cousins and stuff. They went okay. to school, but Mervyn's sent out a nice care package for us with clothing and blankets and stuff. We were in a home, we were in a rental home for about six months and rebuilt the house. And then we sold that house in 96 after we had Miranda. Miranda did not go through that mm. fire. She's uh, the youngest. She's the youngest. Yeah. Uh, and moved to Antioch. And then from Antioch, we moved here. We were in Antioch for about five more years and then moved to, to Utah. Antioch, Anaheim. And I was close. I know, right? It's pretty close. It was close. Yeah. Um, and then that Monday night, you know, uh, uh, after dealing with all the insurances and everything, we decided to go out to dinner. And that's where the tradition came to go to Red Lobster because that's where we went. Mm-hmm. We went to Red Lobster that night, sat down, and just really talked about how um, how blessed we were yeah. for not having lost any of our family members. And so it became a tradition that every December 7th, we go eat at Red Lobster. You guys still do it? We still do it. That's awesome. So I think we've had maybe, like when Jake was on his mission or yeah. when Mandy was in college, that they've missed, you mm-hmm. know, a few here and there. But yeah. um, here we are, nine, 93, and now 2019, 25 <laughs> years, 25 years. Wow. In 2018 was 25 years. That's crazy. And so every year we've gone to do That's that. That's an awesome tradition. So, yeah. And I'm sure Red Lobster likes it. And, yeah, <laughs> my the family has grown. Yeah. <laughs> so we sure. get a bigger table, but we still talk about just the blessings uh, that we have received throughout this whole, I mean, we count every blessing. We've gone through quite a few things, and and we really, we really think about the things that we have gone through and how we've always been blessed no matter what we yeah. get through them yeah and so that's amazing so anyway. um i think a lot of people can flip it the other way and just see how how hard things can be and and kind of give up and it's i think it's so awesome that i mean we're just touching the iceberg right now like you've you've lost a spouse you've lost a house and uh you've been through a lot and that you just able to see the blessings in it i mean i think it's i think it's really really great um yeah so all this happens you guys have this wonderful tradition now yes um what brought you guys to utah um jared at the time in two uh for a couple years had been an independent contractor and he was working for uh, verizon wireless as an it project manager building their um their call centers. Uh-huh. He had built one in Folsom, California, and when he was done with that, they offered him another uh, contract to West Valley, Utah. Hmm. And so uh, that was in August. He moved to Utah. We brought him and Mandy. That was the first year Mandy started college at BYU. Wow. I drove Jared, and now we, did we drive? We must have driven, and I must have flown home because Jared needed the car here. So it was August of 2001. He moved here to start that project, and I stayed home with the yeah. rest of the four kids. Um, 9-11 hit, mm-hmm. September 11th, 
9-11 hit while he was here. And at that time, uh, Verizon decided um, that they were going to get rid of all their independent contractors. So they told him, he was, we can give you a full-time job or you can be done. Mm -hmm. So Jared would come home every two weeks uh, back to California when he was staying here. And we talked about it. And he really talked to uh, some friends. He had a kind of a headhunter who would find him the contracts. And he talked to him and asked him, you know, what he thought. He should he, should he take the, the job or who should he look for a different one closer to home. And his, his headhunter, I mean, things were pretty... Uh, the economy was pretty shaky. Nobody yeah. knew what was going to happen, and his uh, his friend told him, "He goes take the job." Right. He goes right now. I don't know if you'll be able to find any contracts, you know, soon. Mm -hmm. He goes, "I think that you should take the job." So we talked about it, and we we're like, "Well, we always wanted to move to Utah. We're just doing it a little bit earlier than we thought." And we said, "Okay." We put up the house for sale and moved up here. Yeah. Just a so, few blocks from where we moved. Well, yeah. We we lived in Ogden for oh. about six months while our house was being built. This one. Yeah, because we had to wait for it to be built. Yeah. So, and then we moved here in August of 2002. Um, that's when we moved into this neighborhood. Awesome. So, and that's what brought us here, Jared's work. Yeah, I remember he worked for Verizon, uh, and then... I also remember him working for LDS Living yes. and Adobe at yes, some point. at some point. So I don't know what the dates on any of those, but um, so just raise the kids here. I, I met Jake in junior high. Yep. I don't even remember how we, be, how we became friends. <laughs> um, but yeah, I met your whole family. I remember Mandy's Miata. His that she had cute little car yeah and i think the back window was like ripped out or something yeah uh, the weather here was too dry and too much crack fun. the the window poor mandy i feel so bad for her yeah i think and then you have the the um majestic theater downstairs yeah that was like amazing i remember seeing that and it's like you guys have a mo like an actual movie theater like take tickets and everything yeah well Jared designed this house. Yeah. He designed the house. He, uh, he, when he came looking for homes, he couldn't find what he wanted in it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because everybody always tells you, you know, building a home is, is brutal. It's yeah. hard on the marriage and it's just so much, uh, so much time and it's stressful and all this. And, but we couldn't find a home that, that we both, and especially him, he really, really, had certain things he wanted in the house. For sure. And so he found this area, Custom Homes, and um, he said when a, the, the builder was showing him, you know, the plans that they had, he's like, oh, he goes, can I just tell you what I want in my house? <laughs> and the guy goes, well, yeah, I guess. And Jerry was pretty... Um, pretty creative and he was very smart he could learn things pretty fast so he I remember he had he downloaded or he bought the program I don't know if at that time bought the CAD CAD yeah. CAD program mm -hmm. where you can do designs and stuff and that's what he used and so he would design the house he would design the the roofing and everything and he'd take it back to the builder and the builder says no we can't do that that's too steep but so he worked with the builder 
until we came up with the plans for our house. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he wanted was a home where our children could bring their friends and yeah. hang out. I feel, you know, a, a very uh, friendly atmosphere mm -hmm. where we wanted our kids to... In California, I felt like we always had our kids going somewhere else to hang out with their friends. We wanted our home to be the hangout friends. So he uh, designed, and that was the first thing we finished in the basement was the theater. And yeah. the front of the theater, the ticket booth, is actually a replica of the, the uh, movie theater that he grew up going to in oh, Pittsburgh, awesome. California. That's awesome. So that's what he wanted. Yeah, he... Uh... Yeah, I remember it was awesome, and um, I didn't know him too well. I, he did kick me out once because <laughs> I messed with the letters on the on the movie theater. I rearranged some of it to say something that probably was have not said. appropriate. Probably, you know, I was I was young, and uh, anyway, he he didn't like it, so I had to leave. But he forgave me, and I kept coming back. But looking back, it's really funny. At the time, you know, I'm sure I was like, I can't believe this. I can't believe your dad's kicking me yeah, out. Yeah, but uh, with good reason. I was, <laughs> I was. Hey, your kids. A juvenile delinquent. Well, <laughs> it's okay. If you knew Jared's stories yeah. growing up, I'm sure Jake has told you a few. Yeah, we all have our our stories. So, <laughs> so that's Jared, and take us through. I mean. He passed away in He passed 2011. away in 2011. Yeah. Um, he worked for Verizon up until 2008. He, um, he developed, <laughs> he developed, well, let's go back a little bit. Jared, yeah. when he was like seven years old, had a brain tumor removed. Okay. Uh, he had fallen, got a big old knot, goose egg, you know how you get when your mm -hmm. kids fall. Well, the goose egg wouldn't go down. So his mom took him to the doctor to find out, you know, if there was any internal bleeding. Lo and behold, they find that he's got a tumor on his uh, right side of the, his head. So right it wasn't above caused by the No, it wasn't egg, caused by because it. Because of it, they were because able to find of it. it. Exactly. Well, awesome. So they removed it. Yeah. Uh, so he had a big old scar, you know, where they had opened him up and yeah. stuff. Well, in, um, in uh, August, <laughs> August 17th of 2008, I have uh, certain dates that I remember. Um, Jared suffered a seizure in his in the in the garage. Uh, Jake was the one that was here that found him. He actually we have a phone in the garage. Yeah. For some odd reason, we always have had a phone in there. It's the red. It's the Batman phone because yeah, it's bat red. Phone, huh? It's the Bat phone. He he always wanted to have it in there. So he we have a phone in in the garage, and while he was taking the garbage out. Um, he didn't, he felt himself like he was going to pass out. He actually dialed 911, but, um, passed out and had a seizure before he could talk to the, the 911 people. Yeah. Uh, they showed up at the house, uh, knock on the door. Jake's the only one here. It's like, Hey, we got to call 911. Uh, he's like, I didn't call 911. My dad's gone, but he went in looking for him and he found him on the garage Send him, uh, they took him to the ambulance. They thought he had another tumor because he had a, a growth in the back of his head. When they did the surgery, um, it was a, what they call a venous varix, hmm. which is a weakening of an artery in the brain. Okay. So they actually removed part of his artery. Anyway, I'm telling you this because 
he was um he couldn't back, go back to work for about eight months with mm -hmm. Verizon. Right. Um, the day he was released from to go back to work, he went to work and they laid him off. Oh, I, I remember hearing yeah, about that. Yeah. yeah, so then he he started kind of wanting to do his own thing. Right. He started working with uh, a friend, trying to uh, start up a new business and stuff. Um, so he was pretty much working on that for almost two years mm -hmm. before he decided that it was time to, it just took a long time for, it. the company was going to be in Europe and it was just taking a lot yeah. and time in two years. I was working mm -hmm. about three jobs then trying to make ends meet and stuff. And he got to a point where he's like, okay, I got to get a job. So he actually got a job with Adobe in February of 2011 he got hired by a, an amazing man and did great there. Mm -hmm. I mean, the first um, month, he surpassed the, the goals that they had given him. Mm -hmm. He was a director of sales for a group, mm -hmm. and uh, he really didn't know anything about sales. But <laughs> self-taught himself in about a couple of weeks before he went on that interview. He said the right things. And he got hired. Awesome. So then uh, my, May of 2011, he was in a car accident and um, was killed instantly, him and a friend. That's so sad. So. Yeah, I remember hearing about it. I was still on the mission, but I think my, somebody wrote me and told me. And Jake had been home for three days yeah. from his mission. And that's what I remember is Jake had just got home yeah. from Mexico. And mm -hmm. yeah, that's... Our first granddaughter was going to be born that Friday. He died. He, the car accident was on a Tuesday. Jake came home on Saturday, had his homecoming on Sunday. Monday was Labor Day. And then Tuesday... Um, Met Melissa and I drove to St. George because that's where her doctor's appointment, her doctor was, and that's mm -hmm. where she was going to have her baby. Uh, Jake and Josh were on their way to California to help a friend move, um, which was close to, it's, it was only, uh, I don't know, from St. George to Santa Clarita, however far that is. I don't think it's that far. So they were driving there, and then on Thursday night, um, Jared and, and Miranda stayed because Miranda wanted to finish her school year, mm -hmm. ninth grade. Yeah. You got the lagoon trip and she didn't want to miss out on all that stuff. So she and Jared stayed till, and then they were going to pick up Jason at the airport to drive him to St. George where Melissa was going to be having her baby on Friday. Mm -hmm. Well, we all left kind of on Tuesday. So that Tuesday morning, um, Jared and I talked probably three or four times during the day as we were driving. Yeah. Um, Jared had gotten into, since he had his brain, sur brain surgery, he got to where he got so used to calling me three, four times a day. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I would have to call him and say, and when he would call me at work, I was like, honey, I'm working. I'll call you later <laughs> when I get a chance. Yeah. But we just... During those two years that he was not, after he left Verizon and he was trying to get that, um, that job work started, we probably 
got into a habit of talking on the phone. Good thing is my work was pretty flexible yeah. with things like that. And we'd probably talk about four or five times a day on the phone. When are you going to be home? Because there was times when I would go from the high school where I worked at American Fork High School to the to the fitness center, a fitness center to go teach gymnastics, where I wouldn't be done till like nine at night. So I was gone all day, and he was here, and he would call me constantly. Yeah. And uh, if I was running late, he would call me and make to make sure I was okay. Well, that Tuesday, I mean, it was no different. You know, he, we were call, he would call me to check on how we were doing, you know, knowing that Melissa was getting ready to have the baby. He was checking on us. And so I had talked to him about three or four times until, um, so we went to the, got to Melissa's and um, we finished going to the doctor and we went to the mall, to the outlets. And I found some really cute clothes. Both Jared and I had been looking anytime after we found out we were going to be grandparents, anything that had bees on it, if you know, Budge's Honey, Oh, yeah, and yeah, stuff, any any outfits that had bees or anything, we were always looking for them. And I had found these two cute little outfits because not only was Melissa going to have a baby in August, uh, I mean in June, Mandy was also going to have her baby in August. So okay. our two first grandkids yeah. were going to be born pretty close. So I bought them and I took pictures of them and I sent it to Jared on a text with nothing on it. I just sent him those. He knew it was coming for me because obviously we know you sent, and no response. And I was like, I, go, oh. I was kind of a little bit irritated. Yeah. Because I'm like, come on, how come you haven't said anything? So then I called him and he didn't answer his phone. And I'm like, oh, he's not answering his phone. And then I'm like, huh, I go, I'm going to call Miranda. So I call Miranda. And she had just gotten home from a uh, young women's activity. And I say, hey, are you home? She goes, yeah, I just got here. I go, oh, good. I go, will you go check and see where dad is? So she goes, well, his car, you know, the infinity is here. His car was there. And he goes, and, his, and she had come in through the, through the front door, and his phone was actually on the counter oh. and she goes well his phone's here I go well go check and see if he's downstairs playing the piano he probably can't even hear because he played the piano all the time to kind of distress yeah. from work and she goes no he's not here and I'm like oh go check and see if he's in the so she looked around for a little bit and then it dawned on me I go go check and see if his car his little sports car is in the garage so she went out there and she's like no it's gone I'm like oh no wonder yeah. he can't hear me uh, because it's loud when you're driving, yeah. the top's down, you know, there's no top on it, obviously. Right. And so I'm like, okay, I go, I'll just wait for him to call me. And uh, no later than maybe 15 minutes, Miranda called me back saying that someone was at the door knocking and she didn't recognize him. Two uh, police officers, but they weren't dressed as police officers. They were just regular clothes, so she didn't know. If she would have known they were police officers, she would have opened the door. Yeah. But she was scared because they kept knocking and knocking, and she called, and she said, you know, um, what do I do? I said, well, just wait. I'll call my neighbor um, and see, so she can go see who it is. So I called my neighbor next door, and I said, hey, can you go check and see who's knocking at my door? She goes, sure. 
Shouldn't take long, right? Yeah. She's walking from her house to mine, maybe a minute or so. Right. She got to the door and waiting for her to call me. I go, don't worry, Marjean's on her way. So, you know, we were still on the phone with Miranda. Mm -hmm. And I hung up, you know, with Marjean and then nothing. She doesn't call me back. And I'm like, she should already be there. So I called her again. I go, hey, did you go to my door? She goes, yeah. She goes, give me a second. She goes, I'll call you back in a minute. I'm like, okay. I mean, I didn't think nothing of it at the time. Right. And then uh, a few minutes go back again, and I'm getting worried. Yeah. And then, well, yeah. And then uh, I call her back. And again, she tells me, she goes, let me call you back. And I was a little irritated, and I said, all right, that's fine. And then a few minutes go, I'm like, I, I can't. I go and so I call back, and then her husband was the one that answered the phone, who used to be my bishop. He was our former bishop. And I said, Bishop, what's going on? Did Marjean find out who the guys were? And he asked me, he goes, where are you? I said, well, I'm in St. George with Melissa. He goes, oh. And he just paused. And then I go, what's going on? And that's when he told me. He goes, Jared was in an accident. And I knew it. As soon as he said that, I had a feeling that it was not like he's in the hospital. I knew it exactly that that it was pretty bad. I just kind of broke down. By then, by then I told Melissa who was with me, and I called my my bishop, my, my former bishop, because Miranda was by herself, and she still didn't know. I said to him, please go. Go get her, my friend who's really close to them. Go take, get Miranda. I go, but please don't tell her yet. I wanted to be the one to tell my kids. Yeah. And uh, so they took her, and... Mandy was at home, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to call her either yet, because, because she was pregnant, and I didn't want her. She'd had a hard labor, I mean, pregnancy, um, and stuff. So I wanted to be home. Uh, he lets you say people heard about the accident, and they knew what kind of car it was, and Miranda had Jay, Jared's phone with her. Mm-hmm. So, my friend kept, she had Jared's phone, and she said, Monica, they're calling like crazy. People are hearing about it, and they're calling um, to find out if, you know, if he's okay, because they heard it was a silver shell, uh, Shelby Cobra, and I, I don't know how much longer we can keep keep it from Miranda. Mm-hmm. And then by then, I'm like, well, you know, I was like, we were two hours still away. I had started calling family and letting them know. I had to call Jared. I had to call Jared's best friend, who's Jake and Josh were going to his house. I didn't want to call the boys while they were driving because I knew that they would just turn around and drive back. And I was afraid in the state that they would be in that it wouldn't be safe. Mm -hmm. So I told his friend, and which was pretty hard. They were best friends for a long time. I told him, and I said, "Please don't, 
just tell them that Jared was in an accident and you're putting them back in the, in the car. You're flying them home. They need to be home. And he did. It was pretty hard. Yeah, I can't imagine. Um, and, I mean, it was just now twice widowed. <laughs> but how, I mean, how did, you, how did you find solace? I mean, how did you? Well, <laughs> so. Where was your comfort? I where guess? was my comfort? It was in my family. Um, my bishop did end up having to call Mandy and Miranda and set them down and and tell them what had happened. So by the time Melissa and I got home, Mandy and Miranda were here, and and Eli was here with her. You know, that's her husband. Right. And uh, by that time, I had I actually called my brother-in-law, um, who's now a. Uh, local 70 because <laughs> um, I couldn't I couldn't get myself to call his mom mm-hmm. so I called him he actually was on his way out of the country <laughs> and I called him and I told him and I said I can't call your mom by the time Moran, Melissa and I got home Jared's parents were here his sister oh my my kids who were close uh, my brother-in-law, his family, they were all here. And uh, Jake and Josh were on their way that morning. They, were, they went and picked them up, brought them in. And first thing we did as we got together, all of us as a family, is say a prayer. And then a couple of days, I mean, it was... We were all in shock. Yeah. I mean, it was just, my ward was in shock. Um, that morning I had probably every member in my ward helping in some way, bringing us food. I had people taking my laundry, cleaning my house. I mean, they were just... They were just trying to find a way to give me comfort, to give our family comfort. And the only way they could do it was through service. It was amazing how they just came together. Everybody, everybody was a best friend of Jared's. They, he was... He was loved. We decided after our family prayer that whoever could go to the temple, we planned on Thursday going to the temple after all the stuff that we needed to do to prepare for. He never was sent to the hospital. He went straight to the to the mortuary. Our friends, the opens, I called him right away. Because they had actually sent him to a different mortuary, and I called him and I said, "Go get Jared," and he did. Um, at Thursday, all that we could go to the temple. We went to the temple and we felt peace. We felt 
I had no anger. You know how people would say, you know, they're, they just feel angry because here, Jake had just gotten home from his mission. We were about to be grandparents, you know, barely getting to meet our new granddaughter, because we knew it was a girl, um, just in a few days. Yeah. You know, I could have been angry for many reasons, mm -hmm. but I didn't. I felt peace. And Mar Melissa, I remember when we were in the temple, she said, she came to me when we were all in the, can I mention that? Celestial yeah, celestial room. room. The celestial room. Um, she came to me and she says, Mom, she goes, I feel that here. She goes, and I feel him telling us that we need to not be sad, that we need to continue being happy. And it just brought peace to all of us. And I just never felt any anger towards God. I didn't feel any anger towards the person that they were in an accident with. Um, to this day, we really don't know what happened. Um, both him and his friend were both killed instantly. Jared was thrown out of the car. Uh, the boy, the young man that was in the in the truck, um, hit. They say they they think that he must have hit the windshield and 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 they knocked out. So he doesn't remember a whole lot. Yeah. So there's really no no answers. Right. You know, and for a while, that was hard for me. Yeah. Because um, I had no idea what happened. Jared was so, he was, he was so good at driving. Yeah. You know, he's been dri riding a motorcycle since he was probably like 12 years old. We've owned a motorcycle every, since we were married. Mm -hmm. We have an ultra classic and I never felt Ever, ever did I not ever feel safe being on the motorcycle with him. He was always so careful. Yeah. And to not know what happened, that was a little hard. But every time that I would have the whys, you know, or why did it happen, why this and that, this feeling, this thought would come into my mind and said, You know why. Just remember that it's it's going to be worth it. Yeah. And that's how it is. So I never have felt that anger. I just know that it, this was supposed to happen. This is part of my plan. Yeah. This is something that I have to go through. And I don't know, my trials, my my learning here yeah so it's a big trial that's i mean and part of the reason like i asked you to share it just because i got home from the mission a month after jake in june and i i think that was the last time i was over here but you were like the happiest person uh, he uh you guys did those dinners on sundays yeah or still did them yeah. for a while so i came over jake all of 
you know, Ambrose channel here, uh, <laughs> yeah. and all of his friends and stuff. And I was here and I just, you cook these huge meals for all these, you know, young single adults that Jake would bring home, I guess. And I just, you know, I'm thinking, oh, she's going to be distraught. And so it's going to be so hard. And you're just the happiest person. And just, uh, and then I, you know, I, I, I read that story on Facebook and I'm like, man, like how, how does she do it? Like so many people would have just given up and been like, so like you said, mad at God. And so I just, I thank you for sharing it first of all, but it's, I think it's just so faith promoting and I think it helps me uh, for sure. Just to see somebody that's been through been through uh so much more than that I I haven't got choked up on here before. Sorry. Uh it's been through so much more than I, you know, could ever even think to bear. And so and be so happy. It's just it was astonishing to me. And so, um, thank you for sharing with me, uh, and anyone that, you know, all the listeners out there, just this, this incredible life that you've been living. And, um, I mean, five kids, how many grandkids now? I have nine grandkids in the last, uh, seven years. It's amazing. I'm sure, you know, Jared's seeing all of it happen and yeah. incredibly proud. And uh, anyway, just uh, yeah, thank you for being an uh, inspiration and a, a role model, honestly, to uh, to me. And I'm sure there's so many others that you see you on a regular basis that uh, don't just read your Facebook posts. <laughs> but I haven't been putting anything. I've been a little busy. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Going to school full time, working full time, being a grandma full time, <laughs> yeah, and trying to trying to move, trying to sell your house. I packing up a house. Yeah, I mean I do a lot, but that's a lot. So I, uh, I'm, I'm impressed. And but thank you for being on. Um, I sure. think we'll just close it there. Is that all right? Is yeah, there anything else no, you wanted to no, say? All right. It. Well, thank you guys for listening. That concludes this episode of the I Believe in Christ podcast. Tune in next week for a new episode. New episodes weekly. Thank you. All the evil in the world and every kind of sin could never damn a human soul unless we let it in.
could ever sink the smallest ship until it got inside. All the evil in the world and every kind of sin could never damn a human soul unless we let it in.